Hello. Welcome to North Coast Calvary Chapel's audio podcast. Okay, so here we go. John chapter 15, we're going to pick up in verse 18. The first half of John 15, Mark did an amazing job last week teaching about the fruitful life of a follower of Jesus and that our fruitfulness is intimately and inextricably connected to our intimacy with Jesus. As we remain and learn to abide in Jesus, our lives become increasingly fruitful. And that is what all of us as human beings are longing for, to live a fruitful life. And what Jesus teaches us is that our fruitfulness flows out of our relationship with him. Well, the second half of John 15, Jesus dials up the heat and starts talking to us about the costs and the challenges of following him. Here we go. John 15, verse 18. If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belonged to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Remember what I told you. A servant is not greater than his master. Now, that quote right there comes from our earlier study in John chapter 13, where Jesus is talking to the disciples about what it means to be his apprentice and his disciple and to follow his example as he's washing the disciples' feet. So he's reminding them of that here. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours also. They will treat you this way because of my name, for they do not know the one who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates the Father as well. If I had not done among them the works no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. As it is, they have seen, and yet they have hated both me and my Father. But this is to fulfill what is written in their law. They hated me without reason. When the Advocate comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth that goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. And you also must testify, for you have been with me from the beginning. Okay, there's a lot here to unpack. And I wanted to start with a quote from a commentator, one of my favorite commentators on the book of John, Dale Bruner. And he says this, being chosen by Jesus is, a two-prong, is two-pronged. It is a great privilege, and it is the beginning of a great persecution. Choosing to follow Jesus both brings us under great privilege, but also great persecution. I think that's a really great way of summing up what this little section that Jesus is talking about is communicating to us. On the one hand, he's saying, we're going to face persecution. We're going to face opposition. And for us here in our context in the United States, I think that means we're going to feel awkward. We're going to have moments where we feel awkward. We feel out of step with the people around us, with the way the world approaches things, even rejection. There is Right there, that's where our persecution might be. Now, it's not necessarily the persecution that other people might face in other parts of the world where they're literally giving up their lives and dying. But in our context, we do experience opposition, difficulty, challenge, and rejection. It's the pressure that we can never fully escape that Jesus is identifying. When we begin to follow him, we're going to experience a pressure that we can never fully escape. Now, the other 
aspect of this is in verse 27, or I'm sorry, not verse 27, where he says, we're invested with a special sense of purpose and meaning to our lives. This is the privilege, right? Now in verse 27, he says, we are empowered by the Holy Spirit to reveal Jesus to the world through our words and our prayers and our deeds. So on the one hand, there's going to be a persecution, a pressure, right? The world's going to hate us. The world is going to persecute us. And we don't, we're going to struggle with a sense of not belonging. But on the other side, there's this immense privilege where we experience this amazing sense of meaning and purpose as we begin to care about the things that Jesus cares about. We see that in verse 27. Now, this verse, this verse 19 is the key verse for the whole section. I want to read it to you again. Jesus says in verse 19, I have chosen you out of the world. Now this whole section flows out of this key reality that Jesus is trying to unpack for us and teach us about. Everything here flows out of this core reality that we have been chosen out of the world. And this reality helps explain to us the tension and the wonder that we experience as we follow Jesus. It helps us understand both the cost and the reward that every follower of Jesus experiences as they commit their life to him. And that's what I want to frame the message around, both the cost and the reward of following Jesus. So let's start with the cost. And before we get there, let me pray for us. Lord, I just pray as we unpack this passage that you would open our hearts to the cost of following you And that the cost wouldn't overwhelm us and frighten us and intimidate us. So we become neutralized and ineffective in this world. Open our eyes afresh to the reward, the blessing, the promise. For all of us who choose to follow you. And to be your apprentices in this world. In Jesus name. Amen. All right, so let's start with the cost. And to do that, I just want to open up with a little story. When my wife was in high school and she became a Christian, um, she went to a party, okay, just as she had been doing before. My wife was like probably every other high school girl, just going to parties, hanging out with her friends, drinking and all that stuff. But when she became a Christian, she went to a party with all her friends. But as a Christian, she went to that party with a new set of priorities and convictions And she decided she wasn't going to drink and she wasn't going to get drunk anymore. Well, pretty soon her friends noticed that difference in her, that she wasn't drinking, that she wasn't getting drunk with them. And eventually, they did more than notice. They began to say stuff to her. They began to say to her, why aren't you drinking? And she would talk to them about her faith in Jesus. And pretty soon, they were making fun of her and giving her grief and challenging her and even mocking her, saying, what are you doing here, right? You, you, don't even, you don't even belong with us anymore. You're not with us and you shouldn't even be here. We feel like you're just judging us and all these different things that they were feeling because she wasn't participating in their drinking. Now, Stacy was there to have fun, hang out with her friends and was laughing with everybody else. She wasn't there to judge, but she was there to be a friend. And yet she was coming into conflict or coming into She was experiencing the tension that Jesus is talking about here in John 15. This tension that we feel that when we're called out of the world, we begin to find ourselves out of step 
with the people around us and the way that people live their lives. Jesus says, you do not belong to the world. The world hates you. And he also says, they will persecute you. Following Jesus puts us into an irreconcilable tension with the world around us. Now, this shouldn't be a tension that's caused by our being judgmental, our being um, Mr. and Mrs. Know-it-all. That's not the kind of tension that Jesus is talking about. He's talking about a tension that comes from a holy life. Not a life of judgmentalism, not a life that pretends to be perfect, but a life that is organized around a new set of priorities and values and interests. But there is this pressure. It's a pressure we can try to escape in one of two ways. When we experience this pressure, it can be kind of shocking or alarming, especially for a new Christian, or if after a while we haven't experienced it, we enter into a moment where we're reminded that we don't belong to this world. And we can respond in one of two ways. One, we can try to cozy up with the world. The other response is we can try to become combative with the world. And I want to just highlight these two responses. The idea of being cozy is where we just try to fit in and be like everybody else. Right? We don't want to draw attention to ourselves. We don't want people to think we're weird or religious or prudish or like those other Christians that we're kind of ashamed of. Or secondly, we get caught into being a combative person, right? That is, if, if being cozy is we want to fit in, combative is we want to fight to win. That's where we get caught in this mentality of it's an us versus them posture towards the world. Now, these are two sides to the same coin. And on the outside, they might look the same, but really they're super different. The, let me give you an example. The Pharisees were combative towards the Romans who they viewed as the encroaching world that needed to be resisted, all right? So in first century Israel, the Pharisees were these religious leaders and the encroaching world for them wasn't the Democrats or the Republicans. For them, it was the Romans, right? Here they were encroaching on them and the way they responded was into a combative posture. They had really high boundaries, really strict boundaries that separated them from other you know, the true believers from the false believers. They believed also in the resurrection and in supernatural realities. But then there's the Sadducees, okay? Now, the Sadducees were the Pharisees' rivals, another religious leadership group in first century Israel. They were a group of leaders that were cozy with Rome. They weren't combative like the Pharisees. They actually believed in partnering with the Romans and saw the world as an opportunity for gaining wealth. They did not believe in the resurrection, did not read the Bible as historically factual and literal, and they didn't believe in miracles. And so these two parties hated each other. The Pharisees and the Sadducees were, had deep enmity against each other. And the Bible records fierce, even violent conflicts between the two. You can see this in Acts 23 when Paul um, uses that animosity to get the two parties to fight against each other. Check out Acts 23. Now, on the outside, they looked different, okay? But on the inside, they were the same. Let me explain. Despite how much they hated each other, get this, they came together in their hatred for Jesus. Matthew 16, 6 says this. Jesus says, be careful, Jesus said to them, be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees and 
the Sadducees. As distinct and as different as they were, as much as they hated each other, these two human parties or movements or institutions were actually more alike than they could have ever been able to admit. And that came out in how they responded to Jesus. There were things about Jesus that deeply offended both of them. Jesus offends the people who want to be cozy with the world, who just want to fit in. And Jesus offends the people who want to be combative, even the people who are being combative in an effort to fight for God. Jesus offends them as well. He offends our conservative values, and he offends our liberal values. Because on both sides, the real challenge is this invading kingdom of God, the will of God that is coming to the earth and that is shedding light on all human institutions, all human efforts to avoid the light. And Jesus is saying that when you become a follower of his, you're going to have to begin to learn how to live in that tension. But what we see is that we get uncomfortable with that tension. Now, these religious leaders, these people were the people of God. They represented God's people on earth. And we can see how they struggled to live in that tension and instead drifted to their ends of the spectrum to avoid and escape that discomfort of living in the world, but not being of the world. So they chose to become either combative or cozy. Now, how does that challenge you? In what ways do you feel that you struggle in your life to either get cozy with the world and just want to blend in and not stand out? Maybe it's on your sports team, right? Your soccer team, your lacrosse team. Nobody knows you're a Christian yet and you've been on that team for a year. That's the cozy response, right? You're just trying to get out of that sports team the good it has for you, how it's going to help you exercise, you're going to make friends, but it's not a place for you to stand out for Jesus. Maybe for others of us, we're caught in that combative posture. Maybe for us, this whole political climate, it's all about fighting for God and fighting for America or fighting for the kingdom. And like Peter, we are pulling out our sword and Jesus needs to say to us, put your sword away, Peter. I don't need your sword and I don't need you to rescue me. Where do you feel challenged by this? Do you tend right now towards the cozy side or the passive side? People on the combative side look at the cozy. People go, you guys are passive and have your head in the sand. People who are on the cozy side are like, yeah, you combative people, you're every reason why non-Christians can't stand us. You guys are judgmental. You're hypocritical. But really, it's two sides of the same coin. So what's the option? Where does that take us? And that takes us to the reward. So if that's the cost, right? Learning how to stay in the tension and be different. We're called to be different. We're called to stand out, to shine in a way that reflects Jesus to the world. So what should that look like? If it doesn't look like being combative and it doesn't look like being cozy, what does it look like? And for that, I want to talk about the reward of following Jesus. When we follow Jesus out of this world, we inherit Jesus's depth We inherit his depth of purpose and meaning in our life. And this is what distinguishes us because Jesus calls us out of the world by calling the world out of us. He doesn't call us to be in battle with the world. He calls the world out of us. 
We inherit Jesus's depth of purpose and meaning, and that's what begins to set us apart. Jesus's meaning, get this, was expressed in his mission. His meaning, the meaning of his life was expressed in the tangible actions and decisions and priorities of his mission. What gives meaning to your life? What is your mission in life? What gives meaning to our life is our mission. So what was Jesus's mission? Listen to what Jesus says in John 6, verse 38. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. Jesus's mission, his meaning was in his mission, and his mission was to do the will of God. But what does that look like? When Jesus says, I have called you out of the world, he doesn't just mean we're different by the things we do. We're different by what we're committed to. What was Jesus committed to? He was committed to revealing the grace and the truth of his father to a lost world. He was committed to being a physician to everyone who is willing to admit their sickness. He was committed to restoring and bringing back a lost world to his father. What does that mean for you and for me? Listen to verse 26. Let's go back to verse 26 from the chapter we're reading. Jesus says, when the advocate comes, whom I will send to you from the father, the spirit of truth that goes out from the father, he will testify about me. Now, advocate, if you don't know, Jesus is talking about the Holy Spirit. Okay, and he goes on to say in verse 27, and you also must testify. This is where Jesus is talking about his meaning and his mission. I want to unpack that for you because this is the reward for everyone who chooses to follow Jesus and embrace the cost of being his apprentice. The Spirit fills us in the same way that the Spirit filled Jesus. Investing, the Spirit invested in Jesus profound meaning, purpose, and the power to live that out. Okay? Now, the Spirit... First, there's two things about the Spirit. First, the Spirit gives us a profound sense of intimacy with God. And that's what we see here in verse 26, where it says, He, being the Spirit, will testify about me. What's Jesus talking about when he says the Spirit will testify about me? Well, what he means is the Spirit is going to communicate and reveal Jesus. But to who? Well, let's look at what Jesus said, or what the Bible says in Romans 8, 16. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Let me read that again. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. So again, this word testify, it means to speak, to communicate, to reveal. So what is Jesus saying? He's saying first, the first reward is that we receive the spirit and the spirit works to reveal and communicate the love of the Father to you and to me and to those who choose to follow him. The Spirit brings us into a profound experience of intimacy with God. Ironically, or interestingly enough, it was Jesus' claims of intimacy with the Father that scandalized him and caused the religious leaders of his time to hate him. It was his claim, unique claims of intimacy with his father that threatened the religious culture of his time and caused people to hate him. 
Jesus gives us that same spirit to establish and draw us deeper and deeper in our life into a profound experience of intimacy with him. Let me give you an example. I was just recently sitting with a friend who is facing death. They're on the last stages of cancer, and they're really considering their mortality. And they were feeling fear about dying. And my friend was praying that God would give them strength and encouragement. And this nurse would come in and say to him, who was that person sitting next to you in that chair? My friend said to the nurse, nobody was here. It's just been me. The nurse said, oh, okay. Did her stuff and then left. And later that day came back in the room and said, who was that person that was sitting right next to you? He said, there was nobody here. And she's kind of confused and she's like, okay. And she does her stuff with him and then leaves. And now he's kind of beginning to wonder. Then a third time she comes in and she says, no, seriously, who was that person sitting next to you? And the light bulb went off in my friend's spirit in his mind. He's like, oh. And as he's telling me this story, tears well up in his eyes. And he looks at me, he's like, I began to realize what was happening. The spirit was showing me that he was was right next to me and comforting me and encouraging me and confirming to me that God was with me. The spirit testifies to our spirit that we are children of God and that we are loved by God. It's out of the overflow of that personal experience with God. That profound experience of love that gives us meaning that we step into our mission. And that's what the Spirit, talk, that's what Jesus talks about with regard to the Spirit in verse 27. Jesus says this, you also must testify. So the Spirit is going to testify about me, he says, to you, but you also must testify. Now that's really important because we're not only given the Spirit to have intimacy with God, but our reward is also that we get to participate that we are empowered to be a part of God's mission. When Jesus calls us out of the world, he calls us into his world. We're not just leaving this world, we're being called into his world. His world, meaning his priorities, his values, um, his purpose, his power, and his presence. Listen to what Jesus said. John, Jesus said in John 20, 21, again, Jesus said, peace be with you. You hear that? Peace. Now, where does that peace come from? Listen to the next line. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. Let's just pause for a minute right here. Yeah, there's a cost to following Jesus, and Jesus wants us to be really aware of that so that when we experience that tension, we don't get freaked out and go, whoa, I didn't sign up for this. I can't handle this. I must must be doing something wrong, or something must be wrong with all this. Jesus is saying, no, when you follow me, you're going to experience that tension. But take heart, because the reward is greater than the cost. And that reward is not only intimacy with him, but the profound peace that comes with knowing that we have a meaning and a mission and a purpose in this life. When we are clear about our mission, when we're living out of that mission, no matter whether we're in business, if we're a teacher, if we're a stay-at-home mom, if we're a doctor, if we're a student, if we're a high school or college, it doesn't really matter where we're at in life with our careers. But 
if in every one of these places we are in tune in living out of our mission, the call in our life to reveal Jesus to people in that place, there is a profound sense of peace that guards and anchors our life. Let me read this again. Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. I think sometimes we get it backwards. We think that if I go where Jesus sends me, if I go talk to, you know, if like staying out on the sideline of my kid's soccer game and I, if I take the courage to open up spiritual conversation with that other parent, I'm not going to have peace. I'm going to be filled with anxiety and fear. It's going to be a moment, a big, fat, ugly moment of awkwardness and I'm going to ruin everything. I'm going to lose friends and I'm going to be alienated from the team, you know, whatever. But what Jesus is saying is, yeah, there'll be awkwardness. Yeah, there'll be tension. That's the cost. But the reward is that when you step out and begin to open spiritual conversation with the people around you, when you step into your mission as a revealer of God's presence on the earth, a profound peace is going to fill your life. And not just your life. It's going to overflow from you to those around you as your faith inspires and awakens faith in them. I just want to bring this message to a close and just ask you to reflect where is Jesus asking you to have a fresh perspective on the reward of your apprenticeship and discipleship and followership with Jesus? Where is Jesus trying to open you to fresh intimacy with him, and the mission that he's given to you all around you in your life. Is it on your sports team? Is it in your office? Is it with your neighbor? Is it with your own family? When we allow Jesus to connect us to that meaning and that mission, it anchors us in his peace and a profound sense of purpose. Let me pray for us. Jesus, we just thank you for the meaning, the purpose that is so much greater than the cost. Renew our sense of mission, renew and deepen our intimacy with you so that whatever the cost may be in following you and testifying about you and revealing you to people, it's so clear to us that it's always and completely worth it. Protect us from becoming too cozy with the world and from being combative. Give us a gentle, yet bold spirit. Strengthen our conviction and deepen our compassion. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening this week. If you're looking for ways to serve, give, or get connected, please visit our website, northcoastcalvary.org.